the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through the Gospel of John. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. He says, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. How do you know that Jesus is who he claims to be? This is a question that people living in Jesus' time had as well. But Jesus had an answer. Not only did his actions prove his identity, he had the testimony of his heavenly Father. Pastor Gary shares this today to remind you that Jesus is the same today as he was when he walked on this earth. He's alive and moving in this world. He is God. He has the power to change everything. And He died on the cross to give you new life, to bring you into His family. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of John, chapter 8, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. We last uh, left off uh, at verse 12, following the story uh, here in John 8 uh, concerning the woman caught in adultery and how then Jesus was left alone with her because he had challenged the crowd that was so eager to stone her to death. Let those of you without sin be the, be the first one to cast a stone. And so it says that one by one they left, the oldest ones first, the older ones more familiar. If you've lived longer, you're, you're more familiar with the history of your own sinful life. And so they, they peel off one by one. Jesus is left with this woman by herself. He says, where are, are your accusers? Uh, she says, no one, no one is here. He says, neither do I condemn you. And then he adds, go and sin no more. So it's not a story where Jesus was soft on sin. It is a story where he was strong on grace. The Bible is clear about sin issues. You know, she's caught in adultery. Adultery is a sin. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that he, knowing her heart and especially uh, witnessing her, her humiliation and embarrassment here, as she was hauled before everybody, uh, clearly this woman was a broken and humbled woman in his, in his presence. And so he does not uh, heap condemnation. This is a time for forgiveness and grace. And so aren't you thankful that we serve a Lord who is full of forgiveness and grace? Amen. And so that's the end of that story where we finished last week. So now we're into verse 12. And it says this, that when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have 
the light of life. Now, just underline that there in verse 12. I am the light of the world. I mentioned to you back in chapter 6 that there are seven statements through the Gospel of John where Jesus uh, makes I am statements. Back in chapter 6, verse 35, he said, I am the bread of life. And here we have number two out of seven, uh, right here in verse 12, where he says, I am the light of the world. Now, John in particular, more than the other gospel writers, loves this idea of light as a word to describe and express who Jesus is. John uses the word light 24 times in his gospel. And just to refresh you a little bit, you don't need to turn back there, but I'm going to refer to John chapter 1, verses 4 to 5. It says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And then in John 1, 6 to 9, it says, There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John, meaning John the Baptist, not John the author. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself, John the Baptist, was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. So a word that is often used to identify Jesus. And then, of course, in John 3, Jesus himself, in that conversation with Nicodemus, he says, this is the verdict, John 3, 19 to 21, this is the verdict, light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. And so many references about Jesus being the light. We come here and Jesus even himself clearly says, I am the light of the world. Now, two important things about light. Why is that a good word to describe Jesus? First of all, because light is self-evident. Light is self-evident. You don't shine light on light to expose it. It already is exposed by virtue of its nature. Light is self-evident. You, you, you don't have to do anything to identify light other than observe light because it speaks for itself. That is the way Jesus is. He is giving a statement here about being the light of the world that he is self-evident, that he doesn't need anyone to explain who he is, that he expresses himself and it should be obvious in every way that he, in fact, is God. The other important reason that we, that we see light as a word that describes him is because not only is light self-evident, but secondly, light illuminates everything around him. So the fact is, the reality is, that until you know Jesus, who then will illuminate everything for you, you don't really even know your own life. You don't know your own future. You don't even know your path. You can't really understand and recognize the culture around you without understanding the light of Jesus to know everything that is going on in our life and in our world. He is the one who illuminates. And when once you become a Christian, you begin to see the world and the culture in a very different perspective, don't you? And you begin to see your own life in a very different perspective. And you begin to realize now, as his light shines into your heart, some things about your life that you need to get right and to confess. Some things that you weren't bothered about before, but now suddenly you come into the light 
and you're challenged because you're exposed. And so as you come into the light, you know, you come to a place of repentance, confession and brokenness and humility. And, and it's the Lord who illuminates those things. He exposes those things for us so that we can get right with him and confess those things. So light is self-evident and light illuminates everything around it. So Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And he says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Look, people who don't know Christ, this isn't a disparaging statement. It's just a true statement. It's true about any of us before we came to know Christ. People who don't know Christ are simply walking in darkness. They simply don't understand until that light goes off and they recognize who Jesus is. And then they come into a realization about a whole slew of things. So Jesus says here, you know, if you don't want to walk in darkness, accept me as the light. Otherwise, you're going to be walking around in darkness. Well, the Pharisees challenged him on this. Look at the next verse, verse 13. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Okay? You know, if somebody goes around saying, this is who I am, and this is who I am, and this is who I am, and there's no one else to validate your identity, you might look at them and say, I'm not sure I believe that that's who you are. So Jesus here is uniquely qualified to say who he is, and he doesn't need another witness. But that said, he's going to invoke another name as a witness to his identity here. It's the name of the Father. Verse 14, he says, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. So, so those are the two wins. So he's like, I don't really need another person to validate my identity. I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. Okay, you don't know because you don't know me. And he's going to say later, neither do you know my father. But my father's going to be the second witness as to my identity. So he throws out the name of the, just the father. And they say, verse 19, they asked him, where is your father? You know, who's your daddy? You know, I say that they just kind of want to, well, who is, where is your father? And Jesus says, you do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his time had not yet come. And we talked about that last week and, in fact, I think a couple of weeks. The idea that Jesus was on this divine timetable, and so he was operating on a divine timetable, and even to the degree that if somebody tried to seize him prematurely before his mission was complete by dying on a cross, that it would not be possible, that he would slip through their hands. There's different times in the Bible says, well, he slipped through their hands. You know, they went to kill him, and, and he just and he vanished through the crowd. So, you know, he was always on this divine timetable. Nothing's going to happen prematurely that isn't a part of the divine plan of God. You know, here are his critics in the crowd. So picture him. He's in the temple court area. This is just after the Feast of Tabernacles. There are people around him. He's, a, he's considered a rabbi, even though many don't necessarily accept him as Messiah at this point. But as a rabbi, people are intrigued. They're listening. He's teaching. But you got people, you got some hecklers in the crowd, and they're speaking up. And they're like, who do you think you are to testify to yourself? Do you have another witness? And then he talks a little bit about the father. And then he says, well, where is your father? And then Jesus comes back. He says, you don't know who my father is because you don't know me and you don't know my father. Okay, see, they're in spiritual darkness here. 
So they're not accepting him because they don't accept that he came from God. And so his whole identity to them is, is completely confusing because they don't accept him. And so, verse 21, once more Jesus said to them, I am going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. And now the implication is, as long as you don't believe in me, you're going to die in your sin. Because I'm going to go back to heaven after he's crucified. He's going to rise from the dead. And the Bible tells us that Jesus ascends back to heaven. And so he's going to go back to heaven. But he says to them, you can't come where I'm going as long as you remain in, in disbelief, in unbelief. Now they think that he's saying he's going to kill himself because they already in their heads are thinking, well, we're on our way to heaven, so you must be thinking you're killing yourself and that you're confessing that you're not going to go to heaven. Verse 22, this made the Jews ask him, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. So there's the clarification, as I said a moment ago, that what Jesus was saying is, unless you don't, unless you believe in me, you will die in your sins, and you won't come to where I am. Now, this is an important verse here, and, and this is critical that we understand what he is claiming here, because Jesus is asserting his divinity here. A lot of times I will hear people say, and I understand why they say this, where is it that Jesus claims to be God in the Bible? Where does he explicitly say that he is God? And the problem with the question is that we want a Western answer. Okay? When we ask that question, where in the Bible does Jesus just come right out and say, I am God? Why doesn't he just put to rest the confusion and the mystery and just say clearly, I am God? And we ask that question from a Western mindset and we want a Western answer. The problem is that we're Westerners and we're interpreting the Bible, which is a an Eastern mindset, a Middle Eastern mindset, and, and the language is very different, but Jesus, in fact, does very explicitly declare that he's God, and this is one of the verses. Now, how, what am I talking about? If you look here in this verse, in verse 24, he says, I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am. Now, notice this. Look at your Bibles. If you have an NIV like I'm reading from, it says, the one I claim to be. Do you see that little phrase? They're tiny little brackets, lower brackets. Do you see it in your Bibles? How many of you see that around that phrase, the one I claim to be? See tiny little brackets there? How many of you see the tiny little brackets? Okay, good. Just want to make sure you, you know, I can see them. Am I imagining something? Okay, it's there. Now, how many of you have a King James Bible? Let me see your hands, King James. All right. So with King James, it says, I am he. You see the word he, the pronoun he, is it italicized in your Bibles? Is the word he italicized? Yes. Okay. So there's a reason why NIV brackets the one I claim to be. King James italicizes the pronoun he because that phrase and the pronoun he is not in the original language. But in order to try to make sense of it, NIV inserts the phrase the one I claim to be and King James inserts the pronoun he. And it would have simply been better to leave it alone. Okay, it has actually confused the language 
by adding the little things in bracket or italicis. Now, I understand why the translators did it, because by itself, it seems grammatically incorrect or it seems confusing, because it should literally read, I'm going to read verse 24 again, I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am. You will indeed die in your sins. I am what? I am tired. I am thirsty. What what is that supposed to mean? So NIV inserts the phrase, the one I claim to be. King James inserts the pronoun he. It doesn't clarify it, all right? Now, there's another verse here. In fact, if you're taking notes here, also in chapter 8, verse 28, look further. I'm going to just jump around a little bit here, and then we'll come back to reading verse by verse. But I want you to see this, because here in chapter 8, he's making some very important claims here. Verse 28. Uh, He says this, so Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am, and here we go again, the one I claim to be in brackets, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. And again, King James has the pronoun he italicized. It should literally read, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. And then one more verse Verse 58, and I'm going to actually read, i got to read the context around verse 58 so you can understand what he's saying here. So if you'll back up to verse 54, verse 54, Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me, though you do not know him. I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. <laughs> How do you like that? But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him. And you have seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Okay, now there they left it alone. Okay? Before Abraham was born, I am. You have these three verses in chapter 8 and other verses in John's gospel and other places where Jesus is asserting his identity and his divinity because in all three of these verses, the I am expresses the identity of Jesus as God. He is explicitly saying that he is God, but because we're Westerners, we don't hear it that way. Here's how a Jew would hear it. And if you notice, at the end of... Uh, what, of chapter 8, look at the very last verse. I'll tell you, the Jews recognized it because they didn't believe that he was God. And therefore, verse 59, the last verse says, At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Why do they want to stone him at this point? Why do they want to kill him? Because he's asserting his identity that he is God. Now, here's how we know the Greek phrase, I am, is ego eimi. That is the Greek, ego eimi. And the I am statement is a parallel to the words of God in Exodus chapter 3. Keep your place there in John 8, but I want you to go back to your Old Testaments because I want you to see this with me in Exodus chapter 3, Genesis, Exodus, second book of the Bible, the Old Testament. You remember the the encounter where Moses uh, sees the burning bush 
in, in the wilderness of Midian. There he is tending sheep, and God is about now to call him to be the prophet of God, to go back to Egypt and to lead the Israelites out of their slavery in Egypt to the promised land. And Moses sees this burning bush. It's a bush that burns, but it is not consumed. He goes over to it, and the Lord God reveals himself through this burning bush, has this conversation, calls Moses to be the prophet. And in this conversation here in Exodus 3, verse 11, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you, that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I tell them? Verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. You see that there. Verse 14 there of Exodus 3, verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. What is the proper name of God? This is where God's proper name comes from. It is taken from this phrase, I am who I am. It translates in Hebrew, it's from the Hebrew uh, verb hayat, which means to be. So literally, God's name means the self-existent one. He is the one who was and is and shall always be. So he's the self-existent one. He is eternally existent. And, and so he reveals himself using this term, I am that I am. And from this, the Hebrew letters Y-H-V-H are derived. And then because there are no vowels in Hebrew, uh, what we do is we end up inserting vowels to try to make uh, sense or to be able to, to express a word. And so when we add the vowels to Y. Uh, Y-H-V-H, we end up saying Yahweh, or it became anglicized later to Jehovah. That's the proper name of God. He expresses himself here. The I am statement is literally translated Yahweh. Now, a Jew today, out of respect for the name of God, will not even say Yahweh. They will say Adonai. They, they will say Hashem, meaning the name. But they won't even utter what I just said to express Yahweh's proper name because they see it in a reverential way. We don't even want to say the name of God. But this is where God expresses his name. Now, do you see here to a Jew who hears and knows that God expressed himself in Exodus 3.14 as the great I am, and now you go back here to John's gospel chapter 8, and Jesus is going around saying, unless you believe that I am, you will certainly die in your sins. Is he saying that he's God or not? He's saying that he's God. But you have to have a Jewish Eastern ear to be able to hear this. So clearly, Jesus is asserting his divinity in these verses. So when you, when you read back here in John 8, and I think it's good just for us to, let me just read him again, verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins if you did not believe that I am. If you don't believe that my identity is Yahweh. I am God. You will indeed die in your sins. Verse 28, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, which literally is referring to the cross, then you will know that I am, that I am Yahweh, and that I do nothing on my own, but I speak just what the Father has taught me. And then in verse 58, he says, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, Yahweh, I am, I am God. And he's expressing himself and his identity. So don't let anyone say to you, 
that Jesus never directly claims to be God. He does indeed. But the problem is we want a very clear Western English answer, and Jesus is speaking in his native language to the audience of his day. And they clearly understood what he meant. That's why they picked up stones to stone him to death. The Gospel of John is an interesting take on the life of Jesus. He was absolutely a man who experienced things as a human, but he's also God. And so because of that, he's able to do things that are unthinkable to the average human. But it's clear to see through this book that Jesus is anything but average. He's the Son of God. Are you interested in knowing more about Jesus and what he's done for you? Perhaps you'd like some prayer support in what you're learning or growing in. If so, please email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? We'd like to invite you to come join us this Sunday for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship at Cornerstone Chapel. You can find out service times and other information when you visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find previous messages from Pastor Gary and even download our mobile app. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for tuning in and hearing some things from the book of John that may be life-altering for you. We look forward to you joining us again for our next edition here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know